Hello and welcome to the First Year Experience Podcast. I'm Dr. Jose Saldiva and today I'm joined um, by... Hi, I'm Rebecca Hamilton. I'm the director of the Writing Center. Hi, I'm Cindy Saldiva. I am the First Year Experience Coordinator. And I am Brittany Ramirez. I am a lecturer in the Writing and Language Studies Department. Thank you all for being here with us today. And uh, if, if you haven't figured it out, we're going to talk about writing. And so I want to start with a story. Um, my first year in college, I went away to college and I remember the first paper I wrote. And I was, I think, one of these students that believed they were a good writer. And I blame Frank Guajardo out of College of Ed because Frank Guajardo was my English teacher and he told me I was, I was a good writer. But Frank is very liberal with, with praise. So I, I think he lied a little bit. But I wasn't sure about my writing and, and, and I felt pretty confident. But the first paper I wrote, I remember taking it to an upperclassman. And I asked him to look it over. And he gave it back and it was a bloody mess. But for me, it was a good, it was a good experience because I think I learned a lot about myself and, and particularly a lot about my writing. My question to you all, do students have a, an honest um, sense of the kinds of writers they are? Um, speaking as an instructor who deals with uh, first year freshman composition students on a daily basis, um, I don't think they do. I think that they are so used to being told that they are just bad um, at any number of things when it comes to writing and the assignments that they've had to sort of attempt to get through. A lot of them, for the most part, um, come into my class and because I pose that I pose that question: like, Do you think that you are a good writer or a bad writer? The majority of them say that they are bad. Um, when I ask them why, though, that's when they have a little bit more trouble actually articulating uh, what their problems actually are because I think they just kind of refer back to that sort of voice in their head from all those prior experiences where someone said, you're just bad, or the red markings <laughs> on those papers um, sort of screamed out to them, like, you're obviously not good at this, and all those bad grades that they maybe received. So. They have an opinion about themselves, but in terms of uh, an awareness of, of the actual things that they are not good at, uh, I think they have a little bit more trouble being able to decipher on their own. So. Interesting. Dr. Hamilton? Yeah, my observation from working in the English department for many years and then directing the Writing Center is that um, a lot of students now have been so programmed in high school to only write one kind of paper. It's got to be five paragraphs. It has to have three main points, which is actually a very artificial kind of writing that almost does not exist in the real world. Mm -hmm. So that might have gotten them through high school as supposedly a pretty good writer. Then they get to college and they're being asked to write a lot of different genres, some papers with sources and some not, uh, all different lengths of papers, and they have no idea how to transition from writing that formulaic five-paragraph essay to something that's eight pages long, or a lab report, or a proposal, or something like that. And so, because they don't know how to do that, then they'll start thinking, well, I'm not a good writer, I'm a bad writer. When in fact, they're not either one, they're just kind of an inexperienced writer. So that's what the Writing Center is for. If you come to us, especially early in the process, 
and let us look at the instructions that the professor gave you. We can help you figure out, okay, how do I best tackle this? What do I need to do? How long is it going to be? What kind of sources do I need? How many times am I going to need to revise this? Do I use subheadings? All of those questions don't have to be things that you know, but you can find out if you come talk to us. Um, that maybe now's a good time to mention that the Writing Center <laughs> is free, so you don't have to pay money to come to the Writing Center, and also you do not need an appointment. You just come. Um, it's sort of like going to the doctor's office. You sign in, and we take you in the order in which you arrived. So each session is about 30 minutes long. You can come twice in a single day. You can come multiple times on one assignment. So we're there to help students become better writers, everything from freshmen all the way to graduate students. And not just for English classes, but history, business, education, health sciences, any subject, we can help you with your writing projects. Thank you. That's um, useful information for our students and our listeners. What I'd like to know from you all now is, what's, what's your relationship with writing? How have you come to where you're at with your own writing? Now, Dr. Hamilton, you work with the Writing Center. You oversee the, write, the Writing Center. Um, obviously, you have, as an academic, you have tons of experience writing. Uh, Brittany, your instructor of writing. Um, Cynthia, you know, most recently completed a master's degree. And, and uh, you know, to, if you've got to complete a master's degree, you've got to often have to write a master's thesis, right? And so we all have different relationships with writing. Tell me your story. Tell me what's your relationship with writing. And anybody can start. Well, for me, I was always one of those students that was told she was a good writer, right? But I still don't believe it. So um, I think of a Dorothy Parker quote where she says, I hate writing, but I love having written. And that's the way I feel. Like, I have this love-hate relationship with writing because the process of it stresses me out. Handing over my work for someone else to read terrifies me. So I remember when I was writing my thesis, and you have this committee of these just amazing published experts on what you're writing about and then you have to give them your proposal and your thesis and then they just ask you a million questions right <laughs> and I remember my thesis defense it went really well but I focused on those like oh I forgot to do that and I forgot to do this and I think it's more of my insecurities with writing mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of students have that even if the ones that are told they're good have those like insecurities because when you hand that paper over for someone else to read, it's scary. And so hold on to that thought, because I want to come back and talk about those insecurities and our own insecurities, but I want to continue with our stories. So Brittany, what's, tell us about your relationship with writing. So my relationship with writing is a very long, tumultuous one. Um, I actually, like Cynthia, was just one of those people that was told one day, like, you're actually really good at this. and so. Um, I ended up in a ready writing UIL team as a fourth grader, <laughs> and so it just kind of, you know, kept on going from there. And at some point, I encountered fan fiction, which is like my deep dark secret. <laughs> um, so I did a lot of that writing for a good number of years. And the cool thing about that was that that's when I really had the opportunity to sort of be exposed to um, different writers. I'm I'm a voracious reader. But, you know, these are people obviously that are published, that have a little bit more of an understanding of their process and a hold on their style. Um, the fan fiction community did a lot for me in the sense that you are being exposed to writers from all different kinds of levels. So you have like 
sort of the introductory, you know, inexperienced fan fiction writer who's playing around with ideas and styles, and you know, you can juxtapose that with the more experienced writers that are essentially at the level of some of the better novelists out there in the world. And so that really allowed me to play around with my own style when I eventually did end up start, you know, starting to write uh, stories of my own. So fan fiction was my thing for a while. And then eventually I got into college and I was taken under the wing of some crazy guy by the name of Colin Charlton. <laughs> and that's when I got exposed to the more academic side of writing. And it was new to me, it was different to me, but it just worked. Um, I actually write academically more now than I do creatively. And it's kind of sad because I miss the fan fiction creative writing types of days. But for me, writing is a way to articulate um, my own thoughts. And I've actually come to find that I'm a much better communicator uh, through writing than I am through speaking because it just gives me time to really, you know, try to figure out what exactly I'm trying to say um, before it ends up coming out of my mouth and sounding completely wrong or weird um, in any way. So I did do the master's thesis and I, I mean, like everyone's experience who has done a master's thesis, it was like birthing a baby, um, an <laughs> academic baby, but I loved every minute of it in retrospect. As stressful as it was, you know, sharing your work with different people and sort of opening yourself up, um, that, that vulnerability, um, that intellectual vulnerability especially, I think is significant for those of us. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I ended up now um, in terms of my writing experiences. Thank you. Hamilton? I'm trying to think of a, a, a turning point in my writing life, and I guess I would say when I stopped thinking of writing as a marathon, which when I was younger I did. So I, I was good at it, which was a good thing, but I tended to try to do it all in just a two or three day period. Just crunch it in and get it done before I lost my inspiration or forgot what I was trying to say. You know, and so the idea of trying to stretch out a project over several months or a couple of years in the case of a dissertation uh, terrified me because I was afraid I was gonna lose my spark, right? <laughs> get, get lost mid-writing and, and go off on a tangent. So when I finally figured out that no, you can plan out your writing and do it in pieces and not make yourself sick because you're not sleeping because you're trying to finish it before you, you run out of steam. That was a big turning point for me. Um, and I think a lot of students do that. It's not so much that they are procrastinating, but they're waiting to get started until they know they've got a chunk of time to try to crank the whole thing out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So really learning that it's okay, you don't have to do this all in, you know, mm -hmm. one sleep cycle. <laughs> it was a big revelation. And then the other thing, was realizing that revision was just a part of the process and not some kind of punishment because I was a bad writer. Yeah. Right? And I think what maybe changed my mind about that was a class I had in graduate school when we were talking about Ernest Hemingway and our professor told us that Hemingway had revised the last page of For Whom the Bell Tolls 37 times. And that really opened a door for me because that made me realize even highly respected published mm -hmm. writers 
revise like crazy. That's not something you're going to eventually grow out of. Yeah. Right? So revision just became a part of the process and not something I had to do because actually I was sort of bad at this. Yeah. Um, made a big difference. So now I enjoy revising instead of thinking of it as just drudgery and punishment and I don't really know what else to say about that, but yeah. So <laughs> realizing that I could piece things out and get things done over a longer period of time yeah. and actually sleep and bathe during the process, <laughs> maybe eat a sandwich, um, and realizing that revision was really important and necessary even for experienced writers. Those two realizations made a huge difference in my attitude toward longer writing projects. And the, and the revision or the act of going through or the revision process or even getting the paperback, knowing you would have to revise it, didn't necessarily say anything about your writing. Right. 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 And I, I think that's a, that's a really good segue going back to, to Cynthia's point about our insecurities and what the insecurities that we have about our own writing and maybe what our students have. What are their insecurities? And, and, and you all that work with students, what do you see? But... But Cynthia, um, I mean, what other insecurities do you have with your writing? Because I know we've had conversations about writing and, and how I'm, I think we're supposed to work on an article, right, that has yet to be written. So, you know, it's, I mean, what, and, and feel free, anybody, jump in, right? What are some of the other insecurities you have about writing? I guess the insecurities that I have are really um, the technical insecurities, right? So when I did college and even my master's, I did a lot of writing, but analyzing literature, reading literature. So as far as like rhetoric and like where commas go and things like that, that's where my insecurities stem from because I could help a student and revise a paper, but a lot of times I'm like, it just doesn't sound right. And I can't always articulate what it is with the sentence that doesn't sound right, mm -hmm. but I know it's not right. And so I was never, I think, really taught that like formalized way of writing. I was never given those, you know, those formulas of it has to be this and it has to be that. And that's where my insecurities stem from. How about others? What are some of your insecurities when it comes to writing? Well, like I mentioned earlier, um, this idea that, I mean, obviously writing doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's something that needs to be shared. And so the sharing part, I think, um, across the board uh, at some point has been uh, scary for some of us. Um, for me, like I mentioned, that intellectual sort of vulnerability, because writing is such a huge component in, in me articulating my thought process and everything that's going on in my head, um, if that's not coming out the way that I want it to initially, then I start to sort of internalize and reflect and maybe I don't understand this concept. Maybe I didn't deserve a master's degree. <laughs> um, you know, so stuff like that. Like it's really, it's, that's my way of sort of showing people or demonstrating how I'm making sense of stuff. And so when other people look at that and they interpret it or they misinterpret it, that's just, you know, me kind of like having internal moments of like, wait a minute, Am I smart? Am I as smart as I think I am? You know, so that's just that's my I guess that's my end of the of the deal. God, that's powerful. I don't know that students. Um, I know in conversation with students, I think they're always surprised when because I have I have those similar insecurities. Right, if I'm writing something and if I have a, a, a this article right, and if we get get a, a rejection notice right, an email, then I wonder right. Do I deserve that PhD? Right? Do I, should I be? Right? And so I, I think it's, uh, 
uh, can be a, a little comforting for our students to know, right? That even we go through those sort of those experiences and sort of those periods of maybe self doubt. Dr. Hamilton, what are your writing insecurities? Um, actually, I think my kind of perennial insecurity has to do with technology. You know, so many pieces of writing now are not just a long text, which I can do all day long, but you have to embed this video and that chart and that graph and that Excel spreadsheet and that kind of stuff drives me bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm older than the rest of us at the table. I'm still struggling a little bit with the technology hurdle. I can do it. It's not that I can't, but I'm probably slower at it than you are and I'll probably have to try more times to get it right than you will. So yeah, just having to put everything in the format yeah. that is expected is, is an issue for me. On the other hand, uh, things actually had been worse in the past. I remember my older sister working on her thesis many years ago. Uh, and this was back in the days when not only did you have to type it on a typewriter, but you had to use carbon paper to make multiple oh, copies wow. because there were no Xerox machines, right? And all of your citations were footnotes at the bottom of the page. So she nearly went to prison over that. <laughs> because you would get all the way to the bottom of a page and realize that you had typed one line too far so that when you added the footnote at the bottom of the page, it was going to go a little bit too far down and the thesis clerk was going to reject that page. Yeah. So you had to retype the whole page all over again. You know? So, uh, you know, technology hurdles are nothing new. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have some technology issues that still buffalo me sometimes. Well, and you bring up a good point. Uh, you know, academic integrity, right, and plagiarism, and, and I feel like, um, you know, the the uh, constant reminder from what online from our, you know, from the university about uh, seminars and, and academic integrity, and and it's a conversation I, I have frequently with my students, but that seems to also be one of their um, concerns, and I, I know when I talk to students, though, they're not taught how to cite. I, yeah, they, they come in and is there a, is there an expectation from faculty that our students should know how to cite things properly? And right, because that's the sense that I get. Whenever they tell me if, if and I, yeah, I've had countless students that have been accused of plagiarism, right. and then of course they come to me, you know, deer in headlights and kind of I don't know what they're talking about, and I I, I didn't. Cheat, I just don't know, right? Right. What's your sense? Do you do our students know, or are they? No, they don't. Uh, the writing center is is has been doing a project with the dean of students office for a couple of years now, where if a professor refers a student to the dean of students office allegedly for plagiarizing, they come to us, and um, my learning specialist Maggie is the one who works with students mostly individually, but sometimes in small groups to try to determine why mm -hmm. they plagiarize, how they plagiarized, and then give them appropriate material to, uh, to read and then to some exercises to complete in order to kind of get over that hurdle. And we hear that all the time, that students did not cheat on purpose, they just had never been taught how to not do this. Mm -hmm. So they're being accused of something that they, I guess, technically did do, but it's only because they didn't know better. So that technical term for that is unintentional plagiarism, right? Yeah. 
But it's still, they're terrified because they've had to go talk to the dean of students' office. It's a really traumatizing prospect. Their professor thinks they're bad students. It's just not a good scenario. <laughs> and especially with upper division and even graduate professors, they do have the expectation that all of their students know how to cite yeah. properly. And they forget that those students are coming from all different institutions, some of them not even in this country. And so we get a lot of students who do not know how to cite. Maybe they didn't take freshman English here at this university at all. We have no control over that, so there needs to be some um, some accommodation for students to learn those things, even in the upper division and graduate courses. Yeah. Um, and right now, the only help there is, they can come to the writing center if they have enough um, initiative to realize they need to come get help before there's a problem. But oftentimes, we don't see them until after there's a problem, after they've had the accusation. So it's just a disturbing situation all around. Yeah. We have fewer students who actually cut and paste giant chunks of stuff, and that's really not a frequent problem. More frequently, they have been taught kind of barely how to paraphrase. So they try to paraphrase, but then even though it's a paraphrase, since they got the idea or the information from a source, they should still cite it but they think, well, it's in my words, so why do I need to yeah. cite the source? Yeah. So they'll paraphrase and then not cite where they got the information from, and that gets them in trouble. Thank you. Any thoughts for you? Um, no, I mean, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of the situation that we have going on, and I think it's really unfortunate um, <clears throat> because I agree. I mean, these students are not necessarily taught you know, proper citation and much less all of the citation styles you're going to have to use. Um, and so, I mean, I tell them in my class, like, we go, we have the plagiarism discussion, and we talk about what that is and what it isn't. Um, and so I like to kind of give them the opportunity to play around with some of those things. And we turn sort of uh, what one person may interpret as a plagiarism situation into a learning, right. a learning situation. So we, we take a look and we examine um, okay, like, so why is this not plagiarism? Um, what were your intentions behind this? What can we do to make sure that you are taking the necessary steps to reference the proper sources where you are pulling this information mm -hmm. from? Um, and there's a fine line, I think, between that paraphrasing and then that, you know, um, citation. And um, I think it really is unfortunate that other instructors are not as cognizant about their students' backgrounds. Um, yeah. So, I mean, these aren't just people in your classroom. These are uh, individuals with entirely different experiences, coming from different institutions, different educational backgrounds and levels. And so, I mean, I, I feel like there should be more done um, institutionally to sort of make that awareness yeah. um, across the board in other disciplines. I mean, my, I'm, a, I'm in a writing class, so this is something that we go over anyway. Um, the whole citation thing, but I can't control them, you know, once they leave my classroom. Yeah. Um, so it's, 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 I'm worried for them <laughs> mm -hmm. when they leave, but um, I try to do my best to kind of, I guess, uh, address the situation in yeah. the time that we do have. Well, one thing that the <clears throat> Writing Center has done is we've created modules now that students can come in and request. So yes, of course, if you have an assignment 
and you want to come work on this essay, you can do that. But if you just have um, an area about writing, including documentation and citation styles um, that you need help with, you can come in and request the module on that. Um, it's standardized so that whichever tutor works with you on that module, it's the same material that would be covered by any other tutor. Um, and it's got, uh, it's interactive, it's got a video component, so it's not just a bunch of paper exercises that we throw at you. And we can do that with students, individual students, if they request it. We can also do that with small groups. So let's say a professor had a class of 30 and they realize that six of their students are having trouble with documentation, they can refer those six students to the writing center as a group, and then we can do that module with that group. We're happy to do that. It still doesn't reach out to everybody on campus that needs its help, but it does provide the, the service. The modules are not online because we want you to come to the writing center yeah. and get face-to-face -face help, not just click on stuff online. Yeah. So it's not accessible unless you come to the writing center but it's free and it's available for individual students or groups of students by request, anytime. Well, thank you. And thank you all for um, the, I think, how you've handled it, right? And so obviously the Writing Center um, you, is, is a place where students can learn to be better writers. And, and, and Brittany, thank you for, I think, the way you, you address plagiarism in your class and, and making it constructive and, and help, helping the students to grow from that. One final thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's something that Brittany brought up when she was talking about her relationship with writing. I find that um, last semester, uh, last fall, a year ago, I asked my students once, how come y'all don't speak in class? And my students said, we don't talk because we don't sound like our professors. And we've been told that our English isn't good enough and our Spanish isn't good enough. And, I, and I, it was incredibly powerful and everybody in my class agreed. And then I asked my other section, they, they all said the same thing, they all agreed. And so Brittany, you mentioned about how writing, you feel like you're a much more effective communicator via your writing versus your speaking. What advice would you give students who are trying to find their voice? who are maybe reluctant to, to, to vocalize how they're feeling, what they're thinking, but if we could empower them as writers to find their writing voice, what advice would you give them? Well, and we actually had this conversation, um, I think on Monday, we were talking about um, constructs and sort of how we define you know, good writing and how our experiences go into informing that definition um, and some of the readings that we've done in class inform that definition. But one of the things that came up was that this idea that it, you have to sound smart when you're writing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I asked them, well, what does that mean? What do you have to sound like? It's like, well, we have to sound, I don't know, like, like our teachers, or we have to use big vocabulary, and, and, you know, all of those traditional sort of stereotypes of intelligence. Um, and so, you know, that sort of, they, they attempt to like translate that in their writing and so it, it, it ends up just convoluting the message that they're trying to get across. And so we have this discussion about, well, what is the ultimate goal of, of communication? It's, it's to get some sort of message across the other person. So what are we doing when we're trying to adopt a voice and an identity that is not our own? How are we disrupting that communication? And so we have that conversation. Ultimately, to come to the sort of conclusion that 
you are you doing the communicating, speak in the voice that is yours. Um, and I even tell them too, like, I'm an intellectual, but you don't see me constantly speaking the way that, you know, some of the writers were reading in class or speaking, because I'm not them. I have my own, you know, sort of method and modes of communication, and it is my way, it is not someone else's. Um, so that's just kind of my, I guess, approach to it, and encouraging, you know, them to find their own voice. I think they just need the opportunity. We as instructors need to facilitate an environment where they have the opportunity to play around with um, you know, their own voice and their own ideas and really encourage um, you know, thought and sort of that idea development. Because even today, um, some of my students were saying, like, yeah, like, they didn't really encourage us to think in high school. Everything was kind of just you know, told to us. Mm -hmm. And so now like, we're being asked to actually think and we kind of don't know what that means and, yeah. and what that looks like. And so, at least in my class, I give them that opportunity to, to really play around. Um, I don't know, what do you think about that? Um, one of the things I see all the time in the Writing Center is um, students who do a fairly good job of, of maintaining their voice in their own writing if they're just writing an expository paper where they're just informing you about something that they care about or that they know about. They're fairly good at that. But what they're not good at is papers that involve some kind of sources. Mm -hmm. What they'll tend to do is have several paragraphs in a row where the ideas all came from source number one, and then they're done with that source. And then they move on to source number two, and they give you three paragraphs from that source, and then they're mm -hmm. done with that source. So it's just a sequential summary of sources, and then if they include their own ideas or opinions about the topic at all, it's tacked on as the very last thing in the conclusion. And so, you know, the, the best metaphor I know is to say, all right, think of writing with sources as having a conversation. And yes, you have all these different opinions and different experts that you're, you're citing, but they're talking to each other and you're part of the conversation too. So you don't want big chunks of the paper from one person. You want to be able to mix and mingle ideas from all of the sources and yourself throughout the paper. So at one point when we were doing a training session for the tutors, I actually color-coded a paper that had been done well to show them, okay, look, this paragraph, somebody who was color-coded with purple is cited twice, somebody is pink, somebody is orange, look how multicolored every paragraph in here is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you want. And by color coding it, they can really see, oh, that's what my professor means about integrating your sources and integrating yourself into yeah. the conversation. But they need a lot more practice with that. And I'm not sure even in the beginning courses where they're writing from sources that they're focusing maybe enough on successful integration of sources, including your own voice in an academic conversation. That's just one of those things that takes practice. You can't just cover that in one 90-minute class and you're done with it, right? Mm -hmm. you get, the students have to have repeated practice throughout their academic time, and hopefully by the time they're ready to graduate, they've got that down pretty well and it's second nature. But just doing one paper their freshman year isn't, isn't enough. Isn't enough. Cynthia, how have you found your writing voice? 
Well, you know, what I think of conversations, uh, for me, um, I found my writing voice through my father. So I always say he was the most intelligent man that I knew. He never went to school. He never had, I think he just went to high school. He never went to college. But he was just the most intellectual man. And he knew everything. He would, he would play Jeopardy. He could tell you like all the rivers, like just really smart, right? But I remember finding my voice just sitting with him at the table and talking about politics or what was going on in the world and just having that dialogue. And then somehow that dialogue made its way into my writing. And whenever I would doubt myself, he was the person I would go to, like, hey, read this. What do you think about that? But it was that com comfort in being able to be vulnerable with somebody that I trusted, mm -hmm. somebody that I knew was intellectual regardless of his not having a BA or a doctor degree. But that's how I found my voice. And it was a lot of, of conversation, but private conversation. And then that gives you the confidence. But it's something you practice. Because I remember sitting in my master's classes and not wanting to say anything until I felt like I had the smart thing to say, right? Because you don't, you know, you don't, the whole room turns to you and looks at you. And then there's always that person that's going to counter you. Yeah. And those counters are great because that's how we have dialogue. Because um, if no one ever counters you, then you don't have conversation. But it's having that confidence to have a conversation, whether it's verbally or that's one of the great things about students coming to the Writing Center is it's not a bunch of stuffy professors or nice professors either who are the tutors. The writing consultants are themselves upper division and graduate students from departments all over campus. So they might not be exactly your peers. If you're a freshman, we don't have tutors who are freshmen, mm -hmm. but they are students. And so the conversation that you have with the Writing Center tutor is much more sort of organic and comfortable and you don't feel like they're judging you and you don't feel like there's light years smarter than you are so i think students actually get a lot out of coming to the writing center and just talking through their ideas with the with the tutors because they are peers yeah. not because they're experts yeah. and so maybe they don't feel they're they're not they don't feel like they're going to be judged as critically right, right? these are students that maybe can relate to exactly the same, or have the same maybe insecurities that some of these first year students had coming in. Um, thank you all, thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, you know, we thought it was important to talk about writing. We didn't know how we would frame the conversation, but I think we had a good conversation. Um, I think writing, again, is one of those things that students don't like to talk about and, and don't, aren't really sure how to sort of grade themselves or to evaluate just what kind of writer they are. and so. I'm glad that there are wonderful services at the Writing Center. I'm glad that we have faculty that uh, care about our students and, and want to see them grow as writers and want to help them find that, that voice. Um, but I think one of the most important lessons that I have certainly learned just from you all is writing takes time and it takes practice and it's not something that, that we develop overnight or even through our first 12 or 13 years of schooling. Uh, I'm reminded of my advisor, who was a tenured faculty member, a prolific writer, but he always reminded me that he had a partner who would uh, edit his papers and said he'd give them 14 pages or 15 pages and he'd come back with seven. Right. And so it's, it's, it's an ongoing process and, and something that, that uh, you don't just, you're just not good at and you just don't develop quickly. Right? Um, thank you all again. Uh, and thank you for your time. And that concludes uh, this latest episode of the First Year Experience podcast. Join us uh, 
next time.